Good morning. Out here in God's country, it's a beautiful thing. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers, all the grandfathers, all the fathers of the faith. God bless you. Um, now, you know, when you uh, go on your whatever your iPad or your iPhone or whatever your device is, usually there's like little, you know, announcements, right? Things going on and something caught my eye this morning. Or it was either this morning or last night, and it said, maybe you guys saw it. Who, who any of you guys watch Jeopardy? Okay, so there was something that said, I guess all three contestants, uh, they were stumped on the the Lord's Supper, the prayer. They didn't they didn't recognize they didn't recognize that. So, you know what I believe the Lord was showing me was that's the, again that's just another reminder of how we as the church need to, you know, led by the Holy Spirit in love share Christ with people because these people are full of all kind of knowledge, worldly knowledge. They, 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 they have a, a great mind, the ability to memorize and retain all this information. But when it came to spiritual matters, matters of the soul, they had no clue about the Lord's Supper. And even if you become a billionaire, you know, playing these game shows, right? What is that going to do for you in eternity? So, you know, our responsibility as a members of the body of Christ is to continue to share the truth in love led by the Holy Spirit to whoever comes in our sphere of influence. Amen. Yeah. All right. This morning, um, we're, we're starting Obadiah. We're going to go through, uh, verses one through four. Uh, this message is entitled Edom will be humbled. Um, I'll go ahead and, uh, pray and, and then we'll read our text and we'll get into our message. Father God, again, we just thank you for, uh, just waking up this morning, Lord, giving us the ability to have life. Lord, you give us breath in our lungs. So much grace that you gave us that you saw fit that you said, you know what, for, for those who are alive today, you said, may it be so that I'll give them life. So we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would draw us deeper into yourself, Lord, for we know that your word says without you drawing men and women to yourself, we can't come. So, Father, that's a prayer that, that I ask is that you draw us to yourself and that, uh, we would rejoice over uh, the love and the mercy and grace that's been given to us. Lord, you've pardoned us of all our sins. We're no longer bound by guilt or shame. We can walk in the liberty and freedom of Jesus and, and share that truth with the people around us and share it in love. So, Father, help us. Lord, may we all be uh, vessels uh, used for your honor. So, please, would you empty me of myself and fill me fresh with the Holy Spirit that I may be able to convey your word led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So if you haven't gotten there already, uh, if you got your Bible out, please thumb to Obadiah chapter one. Once again, we'll be in verses one through four. And it reads the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord. A messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So we kind of 
briefly touched on this last week as we did like an introduction and a kind of an outline of what the book of Obadiah consists of. Uh, we learned last week that that pride, it, it, it puffs up and ultimately pride, it, it destroys the human being. It, dest- it destroys our capacity to, to sense conviction and it intoxicates people with its deception and it, it, it gets us to believe things that uh, are not true. It, it, it leads us into a path that God doesn't want for us, for his children, for his people. It, help, it makes us to think that you know, we and in ourselves, in our intellect, in our understanding, in our, in our knowledge of the world and knowledge of life, that, that we have everything figured out and that we can get along just fine on our own. That's what pride does. That's the characteristics of pride. And this is where we find the nation of Edom here uh, in the book of Obadiah. This is what they're dealing with. This is this is their mindset uh, being steeped in pride. We have several main points this morning. The first one is this. As as followers of Jesus Christ, we must always remember that he alone is our redeemer, that he alone is our defender. That Christ will battle against our enemies for us. He will go to battle on our behalf and he will stand in his righteousness against our opposition. You see, time and time again, the Edomites, they came against God's people. They came against Israel. They were always constantly warring against the children of Israel. And for uh, the Jewish people, it could have been easy for them to just simply lose hope. I mean, constantly being bombarded with attacks and, 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 and seeing what Edom, the Edomites were doing against them. It, was, it would have been easy for them to lose hope, to not walk by faith, but to walk by sight. Seeing these, these armies and these, these men against them, it could have discouraged them a great deal. And at times that actually did happen. That's what happened. They, they were discouraged. They were beat up internally over the things that they were going through. But you see, then there's God. Then there's the God of all creation, Yahweh. He's a covenant-keeping God, meaning he, he declares something, and he's going to see it through to the end no matter what happens. He declared that Israel was his chosen people, that he would bless the earth and the nations of the world through Israel, and that's exactly what he intended to do, and that's what he's still doing to this day. We can look back at this covenant that was made with Abram back in Genesis chapter 26, verse four. It says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You see, so God was claiming this uh, this blessing for Israel, but that all the nations through them were going to be blessed. Israel was the means that God chose to use to bless the earth. All throughout their history, the Lord has gone to bat fighting Israel's battles. And this time against the Edomites is no different. Before you and I decide to take matters into our own hands, may we remember what Romans chapter 12 verse 19 says. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We know that's not an easy thing to do, right? How many times have you been in a situation where you wanted to uh, take, <laughs> take action yourself? 
But then you, the, the Holy Spirit will remind you, hey, it's not your battle. Don't go do that. Don't, don't meddle in, in, in God's business and he will take care of the rest. He will vindicate you at the proper time if you are, in fact, free of guilt. Exodus chapter 14, verse 14 also tells us the Lord will fight for you. You have to only be silent. <laughs> that doesn't mean be weak. That doesn't mean have no backbone. That just means, again, be led by the Holy Spirit. And when the Lord calls you to close your mouth, close your mouth and he will vindicate you. He will fight for you. The second main point is this. It is the pride in individuals hearts in our own hearts that deceive us that's what it comes down to it's, it's pride that is deceptive and deceives individuals you see edom they they trusted in their physical security their their city was literally built into the cleft of the mountains and they trusted in that to protect them now the physical location definitely had its vantage points it, again, it was tucked away in the mountains, so it, it, it provided a great deal of physical protection from enemies, from enemy armies, from intruders. But it was their pride in this that was their undoing. They worshiped the creator, excuse me, the creation, the creation of the mountains instead of the creator. And this was their, their downfall. Anytime we go that route, we are headed in the wrong direction and we are in for a rude awakening. Romans chapter 1 verses 24 and 25 tells us, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I mean, we're, we're, we have the backdrop, we have the vantage point of seeing these beautiful mountains and, you know, some people choose to worship those mountains instead of worshiping the hand that forged and created those mountains. And the third main point is this. No matter how well off we think we are living in opposition to God, he will have the final say. The Bible is clear. Revelation chapter 22, verse 13 says, speaking of God Almighty, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 4 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the, answers, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. These verses clearly show us, church, that the Lord has the final say on every matter. We want to be wise and not deceive ourselves into thinking that we can live however we feel we want to live and we won't suffer the consequences for our actions. The Bible says that only a fool says in his heart there is no God. Edom. Though they rejected the Lord and they attacked his people, they thought that there was never going to be any consequences, that they could just live like that and, and be on their merry way and nothing would happen to them. <laughs> but boy, were they wrong. They paid with the ultimate destruction of their nation. And this is a warning for every individual and every nation today. No one will escape the judgment of God. But it's not all doom and gloom because the flip side is, if you and I walk in obedience 
to Jesus Christ will be blessed. It's as simple as that. It comes down to these simple two choices, life and death. Choose life. Don't choose death. Amen. All right. We'll, we'll read these four verses again and then we'll break them down and um, we'll see what's next. Okay. Obadiah again, chapter one, verses one through four. It says the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. God bless you. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride in your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though you nest your nest is set amongst the stars. From there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So you can, you can just hear in that, just the pride, <laughs> thinking who is going to take me down from this high place where I'm at. And we see in this first statement, the vision of Obadiah. We talked about this last week, but I'll bring it back just for just for review sake and, and kind of setting the tone. Uh, the Hebrew name Obadiah means worshiper of Yahweh. That's great. Or servant of Yahweh. That's what his name meant. And, and, and he lived that out. Obadiah was most likely a contemporary to the prophet Elisha. That would make him one of the earliest prophets, probably before Joel, uh, a few years before that. It's interesting because, you know, when you look at the books of the Bible, they're not necessarily in in chronological order as how they were written. Because if you look, uh, Obadiah is uh, after Joel. But anyways, that's that's for another day. It also means that Obadiah may be the same one mentioned in Second Chronicles, chapter 17, verse seven. I won't spare you all the information. I will spare you all the information, but I'll just share this little fun fact. There are actually 13 different Obadiahs in the Old Testament. And one of these Obadiahs mentioned in the Old Testament was probably him who was used, inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen this book. When I looked at this passage of scripture, and I'm asking the Lord, what, what, where, where, where's Christ in this? And wh- what are you trying to show me? The first thing that immediately jumped off the page to me was this statement of vision, vision, being able to see question. How important is vision? And I understand there's some people that don't have vision that are blind. I'm not not talking about those who, you know, use a different sense to get along. But for those of us that have sight, how important is vision? It's very important, right? It's very important. Extremely. You see, without clear vision, you and I don't can't see where we're going. We have no clue of what's going on. And if you can't see where you're going, how are you and I going to know if we're headed in the right direction, right? Example of this is, uh, you know, one of Ronica's sisters lives down in Fresno, Jessica, uh, Auntie Jessica, Uncle Frank. And, you know, um, I haven't experienced it too much down there, but I've experienced it before. And I hate driving in the fog. I hate driving in the fog. I I would rather just pull off on the side of the road. And if you know anything about down there in the valley, down in Fresno, the the, the fog can get really bad. One wrong move on the 99 and and you're toast and you're done going 85 miles per hour, however fast you're going and you don't see. And the next thing you know, you're, you know, your, your car is like a, like a Coke can smash ready for recycling. That's it. You're done. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, where there is no prophetic vision the people cast off restraint 
but blessed is he who keeps the law. And that's what we're talking about here, spiritually speaking, having vision. The Bible says without a prophetic vision, people cast off all restraint. There, it's just a free for all. It's whatever's right in my eyes. I'm going to do it. Doesn't it doesn't matter if I got to hurt you to get what I want. I'm going to do it because there's no vision. <laughs> there's no prophetic vision of God in, in a godly order. The application is this godly vision and direction is always best. Whether you and I agree with that vision or not. You see, God is the one who is creator, so he is the one who gets to dictate what is holy, what is right, and what is wrong. Just because we don't agree with the biblical truth that's found in the canon of scripture doesn't mean it's not true. It just means we don't want to agree with it. And so vision and direction from God is always best. Think of the children of Israel in the wilderness, right? They were led by a cloud during the day and fire by night. Though they murmured and complained, the Lord's direction were still the best for them. The best possible position for them to be in was to be in line with God and to do what he said. And when they did what he said, they were blessed. And when they went against what he said, they suffered. Think about your own life. Think about the times you're in line with the Lord and you're at peace with him. Doesn't everything go well? Even the bad things and the bad circumstances of your life, the Lord still figures out a way to work it out to where you're blessed. (laughs) But when we deliberately go against God and his way, you and I suffer. And we suffer internally. We suffer in, in, in our inner person. And there's no peace there and there's no joy. The next thing that jumped off the the pages to me was that I see that it was God who gave the judgment to Edom. It came through Obadiah, but it was God's judgment. Obadiah wasn't judging. It it, it was God. Obadiah was simply the, the means that the Lord used to get his message across. And the application for this is God chooses to use us people to deliver his message, though he doesn't need to use us. He doesn't need me. I'm, I'm, I'm expendable. <laughs> One moment I'm gone and that's it. And someone else will, he'll put someone else in my place. But, but it is the Lord that chooses to use the means of people. You know, when you're out there and you're rubbing elbows with people in the world, he's using you to bring Christ alive to these people so that they can't say that I've never experienced Christ. I don't, I, I can't say I'm, 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 I'm ignorant of who Jesus is because he uses us as his hands and his feet in the world here we see the vision spoken of judgment to fall upon edom the next statement says thus says the lord god concerning edom obadiah's prophecy is unique because it doesn't deal with judah or israel much at all his focus is on the sin of edom and the judgment to come upon them and i'll do again quick brief background won't get in too depth but who were the edomites They were descendants from Esau, the son of Isaac and Rebekah, brother of Jacob, where many of us are are familiar of that account. Esau was was nicknamed Edom, which means red, probably because he had red hair. We know he was hairy and, and, and whatnot when he came out and when he was born. He, speaking of Esau, he eventually settled in the area of Mount Seir and absorbed a people known as the Horites. Um, there is a history here, 
uh, of, of Edom, again, fighting, warring with Israel. It, 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 it happened not one time. It wasn't a one-time occurrence. It was, it was something regular. Like if you go, I don't know, to whatever, 7-Eleven in the morning and you get your coffee before work. That's how regular it was. It was just something that was a natural thing to them. They fought and warred against God's people. We know about when uh, Israel was coming out of Egypt, this happened. Uh, the Edomites also opposed Saul and uh, they were conquered under uh, King David and, and, and King Solomon. In the days of Jehoshaphat, they were still warring against them. Um, Second Chronicles chapter 2, verses 1 through 27, uh, back when Pastor Nick came and talked about it, that, that was the Edomites. And when, uh, you know, when Israel sent the, 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 worship, the worship team out before uh, the soldiers and, and praised God, and, and then you know, all these other people groups basically destroyed themselves. Again, a picture of Christ going before us, fighting for us, fighting our battles for us. This is an interesting note. I'll just share this because I think it's, it's, it's important to know. Uh, the Edomites actually fought side by side with the Jews in a rebellion against Rome in about A.D. 66, around that time to about A.D. 70. And they were crushed by Rome, never to be heard of as a people group again. And this confirms and this was a fulfillment of prophecy in Obadiah chapter 1, verse 10, and also chapter 1, verse 18, that they were going to be destroyed and annihilated. Next, we see it, it goes on to say that a report came from the Lord telling them to arise. Let us rise up against her for battle. Obadiah gave a report from the Lord announcing that God would bring nations against Edom in battle. As a result of this coming battle, God made Edom small among the nations and greatly despised greatly despised for their wrongdoing. Um, and really, it comes down to an unrepented heart. It's, it's, we're, all, we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners before God. We're saved by grace through faith. It's, it's the unrepentedness. It's the pride. It's the stubbornness of saying, I won't bow. I won't bend a knee. I won't acknowledge that, that I, I'm wrong and that you're greater than me and that you have a greater way of thinking than, than I do. And it, it was that rebellion that was their demise. It was that the unwillingness to repent. And that leads us to this next statement that says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. This helps explain why God brings the judgment against Edom. Because they were filled with pride and it deceived them. The Bible tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the spirit that's full of love and peace and joy and of a sound mind and of a sound heart. But yet these people were filled with pride. The application is this. Pride, it's very deceptive. It makes us think things about ourselves and others that simply are not true. Have you ever got in your mind and, and, and you just have this preconceived idea or maybe you had a conversation with someone and off that one conversation, you base this whole view of how this person is and it's not a good thing? <laughs> you're not honoring them. You're not being a blessing to them. You're not thinking of them in, in a good light. That's pride. And when you come to find out, it's happened to me a bunch of times and come to find out I was completely wrong. And how my view of that person was and what they were saying and what they were thinking. I had, I was totally off. <laughs> and the Lord's like, humble yourself, Keefing. Stop thinking you, you know what's going on in a person's mind and heart because I don't. And that, that's what the Bible is teaching us here and telling us. You see, the Edomites were not the first or the last people to be deceived by pride. 
But the Lord himself rose up to battle against the Edomites. He alone humbled them. Luke chapter 14 verse 11 tells us, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God bless you. This is again another another principle that's very straightforward. You know, a child can understand these principles. If you exalt yourself, you're going to get humbled. And it's probably going to come at the worst time for you where you're at the height of your pride, the height of your boastfulness, and the Lord is going to cut you down to size. But now if you humble yourself, if I humble myself before the Lord, then he is going to exalt me, not in a, not in a, in a stature so that I can boast amongst other people. That doesn't make sense. But he will exalt you and use you and, re- and recognize you and bless you, and you'll have influence in the world for him. Amen. You see, Edom was so proud of being big and mighty, but God was going to make them small. That goes to our next uh, statement that we see in this portion of scripture. It says, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock. You see, the Edomites, they didn't have all that much to be proud of. They were a small, relatively poor and insignificant nation. Yet what they could be proud of, they were. And they lived in an area, again, of great natural security and strength so they boasted in the clefts of the rocks around them and you know before i go smashing on them isn't that just like us as people (laughs) speaking of we don't have much to be proud about so what we do have to be proud about we cling to whatever we can boast about i'll share this it's okay i'm I, i feel comfortable with you guys i can bear it it's not a big deal but uh but back when i was 17 years old I had this Ford Contour. I don't know if you guys know what a Ford Contour is. I had a Ford Contour. It must have been a 1996, something like that. And my friends called it the Slick Turtle. I had gotten in, I had gotten hit by a car, and uh, this was before that happened. I basically, long story short, I came into a large lump sum of money, and you know, I ended up buying rims for this car, for this car. And uh, the biggest rims I could put on it, I think there were 17 inch rims and, and, you know, tinted the windows, uh, limo tint. And, uh, you know, I remember I was down on Santa Clara driving, cruising and got pulled over the first day. Hey, man, why why are your windows uh, so dark? And, you know, whatever, the police gave me a ticket and let me go. But the whole point is this. uh, I didn't have much to be proud about. And I boasted in that car. (laughs) That car was like my claim to fame. You know, that claim that that car was, you know, my identity. And that's what I embraced at that time. Because, again, just like the Edomites, I didn't have much to to be proud of. So whatever I could cling to, I was proud of. And and I don't know what it is for you, but maybe, you know, you're someone that uh, it's your favorite sports team. Or we run into people where it's like they're so and I get it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying entertainment, you know. Uh, but it's it's interesting. We'll we'll go to a a ball game and we'll show up three hours early and we'll we'll we'll, we'll tailgate, we'll barbecue, we'll do all that. We can't spend an hour in the church house, <laughs> but we over here, you know, praising, screaming, hollering at the top of our lungs for the 49ers, and uh, you know, we won't raise our voice to the Lord. So some people they, they they take their pride in their sports team, or some people they're very prideful of their race or their heritage. Have you ever met people like that, where they're like, you know, whatever their race is, pride, so much pride for for who they are, or maybe they're proud of their accomplishments, whatever they've accomplished in life, small or great. And I, and I'm not saying any of those things are bad things in and of themselves. It's just what attention we put to those things can determine if we're being prideful or not. You see, people can find just about anything to be prideful about. 
For Edom, they were so prideful about being big and mighty, but God, again, was going to make them small. This is what Edom lacked. And I think that this is, a, this is very important for us to retain in applying this to our own lives personally. This is what Edom lacked. They lacked the gift of conviction. Psalm chapter 139 verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God. Search me, Lord. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, this psalm that David was inspired to write, he prayed for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, this might seem like a strange thing to pray for of all the things you could pray for. But conviction of the Holy Spirit is a gift, is a gift. We have to understand that it is is a gift of God that you can even sense conviction. There are so many people in our culture, in our world today that their consciences are seared. They can do any and everything and it doesn't bother them. They can go do the most heinous act and go to the restaurant and eat a meal like nothing ever happened. That should not be so. That should not be so. You see, David asked God to search his heart, to show him if there was any wrong way in him, and to cleanse him if anything wasn't right with God. The application is this for us. Conviction is a gift because when we open up our hearts and let the Holy Spirit tell us the truth about ourselves, not what we want to hear, but the truth about ourselves. And then we take responsibility and we choose to agree with what God says. Then he can cleanse us and transform us. It takes a humility. You see, many times conviction comes in, but then some people are like, I don't want to acknowledge that. I'm not going to allow you to tell me that about myself, Lord. And they they shut him off and they run away. But we're supposed to open up and bear all to the Lord so that now we can be cleansed and transformed. The Bible says if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when the Holy Spirit shows us something in our heart or in our thinking that's wrong, and we say, yes, Father, forgive me, save me, wash me, cleanse me. That conviction actually becomes the agent of the Holy Spirit to supernaturally wash away from us all the things that are bad. So now we can be free from it. There's no more bondage. There's, there's no more weight. We've taken his yoke upon us. And that's a yoke that's easy, that's light. It's not the burdens of our own lives. And this is what Edom lacked. And this is where they uh, fell off, for lack of a better words. This is exactly the opposite of what Edom chose to do. Next, we see the statement, though you ascend as high as the eagle. You see, in their pride, they thought themselves to be as high as an eagle because they were nestled in the cleft of the mountains. Again, it, this pride that we all have to battle against daily, it's so ingrained in our fallen human nature. Again, that even if we don't have much to be proud about, we'll find ourselves exalting ourselves. We're either going to exalt ourselves or we're going to humble ourselves. I pray that more and more each day we all become better and grow at humbling ourselves. And the Lord will give us tests where people will try to or people will compliment us and say things. It's just such a manner where are we going to, you know, uh, give the glory to God or are we going to absorb it for ourselves? We need to learn to, you know, uh, you know, kindly receive what people say, but then give it to the Lord and say, it's not me. It's the Lord. You know, I have people at my work that tell me all the times, oh, you're such a wise man. I said, no, <laughs> if you knew 
knew me, you would not say I'm wise. It's the Lord that gives me wisdom. I'm not a wise person, but I'm grateful for the wisdom that the Lord imparts to me so that I'm able to make wise choices. But it's always him and the work that he's doing in and through us. Amen. This also reminds us that you don't have to be rich or powerful or great to be filled with pride. You can be dirt poor and be prideful. It's not a matter of whether you have or have not. Sometimes those that have the least amount uh, and least reason for pride have it the most. Again, these Edomites, they, they boasted in their security. This whole thing. Uh, there was an ancient city of Petra. Once the capital city of Edom known as Selah had amazing defenses. This is what, uh, again, the, what the Bible was talking about. It was a city carved into a rock accessible by a narrow canyon almost a mile long. I don't know if you guys have ever been to... Um, it's in San Francisco. I used to go there all the time uh, long years ago. There's Dead Man's Points over there. It's right off. It's right where the, the cliff house used to be. There's a golf course over there. And I think there are bunkers where the army or the, where, where, they're, where they set up for war back in the day. But there's all kind of there's all kind of cliffs. There's all kind of cliffs right there and trails. But when I when I would go up there, it kind of reminds me it gives me a picture of what it kind of would have looked like. Because those bunkers are nestled into the landscape right there. They, they, they had to build them, you know, carve them. And that's the whole thing. This city was carved into the cleft of the rock there uh, here in Edom back then. But this is what they boasted in. This is what they boasted in. They also boasted in their wisdom. There were men of Edom, especially the city of Teman, uh, were noted for their wisdom. The phrase men of the East in the Old Testament, this often referred to men from Edom. Um, there's passages like 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 30. It declared that the great wisdom of the men of the East. Lastly, the Edomites, they boasted in their alliances and how they trusted in their allies and that they were men of peace that were with them. Think about this. When you look at the, the structure of the world today, that's kind of the same thing that's going on. You have the United Nations and you have the different things that go on there. Many times men, women are boasting in the alliances that they have. And, and every nation is always trying to align themselves with who they think the right players are so that they can have the most security and the most influence and the most power. As the Bible said, there's nothing new under the sun. This is something that's gone on for ages. And this is what we see happening on the pages of scripture today. Though that though they had their alliances and their alliances made them strong, they thought that they were proud. They thought that they were strong because of it. But they were in for a big rude awakening. The last statement here in our portion of scripture says, from there, I will bring you down. Despite all of this, whether it's Edom or us today, Jesus Christ will always have the final say. He'll always have the last word on everything. The sobering truth about our pride is that God can bring us down at any time. He can shatter our proud deception and bring us low. The key is for us to humble ourselves, humble ourselves like our like our creator, like our savior, like our Messiah, like Jesus. Remember the triumphal entry? He's he's the creator of everything. And and, and, and many of the Jewish people, they expected him to come on a horse in valor and glory. And he came humble on a donkey's colt. Not the kind of entry you would expect, but that reveals to us the heart of God. He is, he's a humble God. 
He's a merciful God. He's a loving God. He's a kind God. It's only when he's forced to minister righteous judgment will his wrath come out. Even when even when Cain killed Abel, remember Cain said, oh, I, I, I can't go anywhere. They're going to kill me. And what did, what did God do? God put a mark on Cain. So if anybody touched Cain, they were going to get it sevenfold. So we see the mercy and the humbleness of our God. He displays a great humble heart before us. The Lord looks upon those who are humble and humble themselves with favor, but not the proud. I'll end with uh, this last verse. Psalm chapter 138, verse 6, it says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. So if you're humbled, before God, you're going to have peace. You're going to have, he's going to continue to draw him to your, uh, you to himself. And you're going to have deeper and deeper, closer and closer fellowship. But if we are prideful, it says that he's far from us. So may we be those that humble ourselves so that we can experience more of God's love, more of God's goodness, more of God's peace, love and joy so that we can also as well spread that love and joy to others. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we, we just thank you, Lord, for that reminder of you come close, you draw us near a humble heart, one that recognizes that we're just mere flesh and bone, flesh and blood. We didn't create ourselves. You're the one who gave us life. You give us newness of life in your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give us a fresh anointing, that we would be those that walk in humility, that we would be those that see ourselves as we should see us. Instead of boasting and bragging, Lord, may we have a heart that is humble before you, would you use us, Lord? Would you exalt us, Lord, so that we could be uh, used by you and, and, and magnify the name of Jesus in the world around us? Father, we thank you for this day. And again, may you receive all honor and glory for you're the only one worthy of such recognition. It's in Jesus Christ's wonderful name we pray. Amen.